morning. It's good to look out. See everyone here this morning. Any idea what we're going to preach on this morning? Well, it won't be Solomon, but it's going to be First Kings. <laughs> I said when I first started this, I was going to do it real briefly. Just a long book, but there's just so much in it. And it's idea, so I look at it now, and I hope y'all do as, as a story. But what I want you to pay close attention to as we go over uh, how everything is right now, I want you to pay close attention to what is actually going on. What's the condition of the time? Because when we get to chapter 17, it's when Elijah comes in. And it's such a great person that we can't just pick up and say, okay, we're going to talk about Elijah. We got to know the surrounding. We got to know the circumstance. We got to know exactly why is God sending him and why, what's he going to do. Because when we go throughout our daily lives, we have to be careful. Because just as, as strong as God's love is for each and every one of us and wants to see our souls saved, we got, we got an atmosphere. We got someone out there that's just, just trying as hard as he can to capture us and keep us from uh, away. It's like a game that well, Justin's got me hooked on. But uh, I like playing with the kids and all. It's called Among Us. What it is for ones that don't know it is you got 10 or 15 players and then you got two of them in there. They're out to get you. Now they get you, you can continue as what they call a ghost to do your task. But you got to do your task and everything to get completed. That's the same thing the devil's out for you now. Oh, he's going to let you continue living your life and doing your task and everything, but he's going to have you. That's why we need to keep our hearts and our minds focused on God. And what I find the best way of doing that is studying God's Word. Talking to people about God's Word and trying to be around or have uh, godly people around us. I know last time we, I kind of pushed verses, I mean chapters, 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12 together. But I want to drop back to chapter 12 and talk to you just a little bit. Verses 25 to 33. Now remember that the kingdom of Israel has divided due to Solomon's sins. Now the division of the kingdom was, wasn't by accident. The scriptures repeatedly tell us that the events leading up to the division of the kingdom and division itself was God's doings. Look back at uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 38 and 39. 1 Kings chapter 11. 38 and 39 says, And it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, will walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes, my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee and build thee a sure house as I built for David and will give Israel unto thee. Verse 39 goes, and I, will, and I will for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. I used to ask myself, I used to wonder, how could these children of Israelites, God brought them out of bondage, he's there with them daily, giving them whatever they need, just satisfying them, how could they turn their backs on God so often? But after I, I, I got a little mature in God's Word and got studying on it, that answer was plain. The same way that I can. 
the same way that each and every one of us can. God's with us daily. Maybe not the same way it was with them, but we got His Word. His Word is just like Him here talking to us. How can we turn our backs on Him? Same way they did. Here He's saying, God's telling them, if you will hearken unto all like a man thee, will walk in my way, do what's right on my side, keep my command, my statute and commandments. You know, he would give it to him. He also said that to uh, Jeroboam. We're going to get in that in just a little bit. <clears throat> but also, we see in chapter 12, verse 15, when it says, uh, Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah, Ahijah, excuse me, the Chilonite, and Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And also in 12, 24, when he says, Thus saith the Lord, You shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren. The children of Israel return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. They hearken therefore to the word of the Lord, and return to depart according to the word of the Lord. It's the same thing today. The Lord's going to get our attention one way or the other. Briefly in 1 Kings uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12, we looked at Solomon's failure, which was the trigger for Rehoboam's failure. But God determined to give Jeroboam, a servant of Solomon, an opportunity to serve the Lord and have a dynasty built through him. We've seen that. We just read in 1 Kings 11 and 38. Now, ten tribes of Israel are given to Jeroboam because of Solomon's unfaithfulness. And Jeroboam is told to walk in the ways of the Lord. If Jeroboam would be faithful to the Lord, the Lord promised to be with him and build a dynasty through him and give Israel to him. And the question comes up, what would Jeroboam do with this promise and with this opportunity to leave Israel where Solomon and Rehoboam had failed. We're picking up here in chapter 12, verses 25 and 27, when it says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the Mount Ephraim, and dwelt therein, and went out from thence, and built Peniel. And Jeroboam said this in his own heart, said this in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. Verse 27 goes on to say, If these people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then shall the heart of his people turn again unto the Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me. They shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. We see it's already the account of Jeroboam's reign is beginning with fear. It's not beginning with love and trust in the Lord. It's beginning with fear. He's putting the me into it. What's in it for me? What's going to happen? to me. Not what can I do for the Lord. And we just read in verses 26 and 27, Jeroboam is fearful that if the people and his ten tribes of Israel go to the temple of the Lord to offer sacrifice, which is in Rehoboam's rule of Judah. Then the heart of the people will return to, Jeroboam, to Rehoboam as their king, and the people will kill him. Now Jeroboam has absolutely, undoubtedly has absolutely no trust in the promises of God. He does not believe that God will make a dynasty through him or that the Lord will be with him. But doubtless, he believes that he will lose his power and his rule 
if he allows the people to go to Jerusalem to worship. Sounds to me like he's putting his trust in everything in his worldly possessions. Remember that going to Jerusalem to the temple of the Lord was commanded by the Lord. This is what the people were supposed to do. But he does not trust the Lord and immediately is afraid of what the people would do if he does not do something to keep them from going to Jerusalem. And then another one we pick up in uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. When it said, Whereunto the king took counsel and made two cows of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put, put he in Dan. Verse 30, And this thing began, a sin for the people, went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. Now he's getting more involved with convenience. That is something that we really got to look at, because to me that is one of the devil's strongest artillery. That's his strongest weapon. Not the actual strongest, but... It's, it's just one of them. So what is the best way to get the people to not go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord? Verse 28, it said, You have gone up to live Israel long enough. Other translations said it's too difficult for you to go to uh, Jerusalem. Some translations say it's too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem. New Year's Bible said it's it is too much for you. Jeroboam argues for the convenience of the worshipers. You've had to deal with going to Jerusalem for far too long. It is just too much trouble. It is just too much work. Here he's looking at convenience. And that's one of the best ways to trap somebody. Is to tell them, hey, you know there's an easier and a better way. Of doing that, right? I used to joke, joke and I with the boys at work and all, and I'd show them a dare, easier way. I said, leave the man, find the easier way. The same thing right here. Someone is putting more convenience in their life instead of what God's asked for us. The devil knows if he can get you trapped into doing, worshiping what's easier for you, then he can slowly pull you away from God. It's a lot easier just Someone come up and say, hey man, don't worship God no more. Jeroboam sets up cast for worship God in the cities of Dan and Bethel, which are at the top and the bottom of the nation. Now this way, everyone will have a much easier time worshiping God because they do not have to travel so far. They do not have to go all the way to Judah. They can stay where they are, travel a much shorter distance, and worship God in this way. Notice that Jeroboam does not declare that they are casting away the Lord or even casting away worshiping the Lord. Rather, this would be the new and better way to worship the Lord. You know, when God's word said not to add to or take away, that tells me there that there's no such thing as a new and better way. God's word is God's word. Now, in fact, notice that Jeroboam bars the words that Aaron, the high priest, gave when he fashioned the gold calf at Mount Sinai. 
He said in verse 28, Here is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Aaron said this, if I'm correct, it's in Exodus 32 and verse 4. Let's turn over right quick. I want to make sure I give you the right one on that one. Exodus chapter 32. In verse 4, when he said, And he received the then received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and he had made it a molded calf and they said these be thy gods O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now we know good and well that that is not their God and that's not the God that brought them up out of the land of Egypt. In both cases they're not saying that we're not they're not saying that we're leaving the Lord and turning to other gods. Rather, this will be the way that we will worship the Lord. Now here's the stunning thing. The stunning thing is that the nation does not rise up and say that they do not care about convenience. We want to worship the Lord. In verse 30, we see the people of Israel. Go ahead and worship at the more convenient location. This is something that we got to keep our eyes on for our own state of our own souls. We need to spend a little bit of time talking about this because I fear that too many people today stand on the edge of the cliff when it comes to worshiping the Lord. Too often the question asked about worship is convenient. What's convenience to me? Why do we have to worship the Lord at this time? Why do we have to worship the Lord on the first day of the week? People want to do things that are convenient to them. They want to make it easier for themselves. Make changes so that worship is not so hard. The door has been opened to digital, video streaming of worship. Online stream of worship service to me, and well, look, it is not the best way of worshiping God. Now, Christians are to come together physically, devote themselves to praying together, fellowship together, to learn the Word of God, and to partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, bear with me. Together and encouraging each other. Worship is never pictured in the, the New Testament as being done in isolation. Now, don't get me wrong. I fully understand that there are times when we have to do things a little different than the way we want to, the way we desire to do it. That's done out of necessity and not out of convenience. For example, when we had the, uh, the screening and all of our, our lesson all during this epidemic and everything, that was done out of necessity. It wasn't done just so we could kick back on the couch and rest. It was done out of necessity. For example, I thank the good Lord that, that we did have the video streaming during this past epidemic that we just went through. Now, did I wish that we could have continued on attending worship like we always had in person? Sure I did. However, I understand that we couldn't. I'm just happy that we were blessed with a continued way of worshiping our Lord. 
The devil was trying his hardest to be like Jeroboam and Aaron, to get everyone to worship the Lord their own way and eventually turn away from serving the Lord. But thankfully, that didn't happen. See, when we come to necessity, God give us a way to continue. I've talked to people that they still ain't back in the church and all that. They just do their thing, whatever they want to do, I guess, regular days on Sunday. I would hope that they would at least study God's word with their families. But this is not my point. My point is this. If people make decisions based on convenience, then they're going to drift away from, from what God wants for worship. There are some people who are standing on the edge of a cliff where their only concern seems to be figuring out how they can worship God with as little inconvenience as possible, as little commitment, as little sacrifice, or as little impact to their daily schedules as possible. You know, something we can look at in this congregation here. We all have to drive some distance. It's not like we live, we all, any of us live within walking distance. But we do. Because it's what God tells us to do. Because this is an easy trap, as I said earlier, to fall into. Now, I, I really enjoyed, I'll be honest with you, I really enjoyed the video streaming of our Wednesday night Bible class with my work schedule and everything. Because in my town, you know, y'all have no problem. I just turn it on when the time comes and I still take part. Or if I get in late, you know, I do my little, uh, uh, right there at the house. I like, I can follow into that trap. But the problem is that the people of Israel did not rise up and say, we want to worship the Lord. Worship is not an inconvenience. Worship is not an obligation. Worship is not a wearisome. Worship is not a pain. We want to worship as much as we can. But we see that their hearts were not in the right places. Convenience appealed to them. Worship is not about putting your time in. Worship is not about getting it over with. Worship is not about making things easier. And worship must never be defined by how easy it is for us to perform it. I mean, our daily jobs, we got a time clock. Or we got time schedules. We got to be there and all. We go and we put in our day's work and we go home. We punch the clock and all. Worship is not like that. Even though we got an hour set aside, we shouldn't worry if, if the lessons goes over. We're here to worship God. Fear and convenience has driven some Christians to the edge of the cliff. Now that we need to rise up and declare that worshiping the Lord is not a convenience. We are in danger of drifting away from the Lord when we ask questions about personal comforts and convenience. And if we're looking at convenience and worshiping and convenience and all, you know, it's important to know that my convenience may be somebody else's difficulty. I say I want to meet 7 o'clock in the morning. Well, some people can't make it to 7. So, you know, we got to go by God's Word. It's selfish thinking to evaluate worship based on how convenient it is to me without thinking how this impacts others. 
Our worship is to serve and encourage each other until Christ returns. Because we would have to stop and ask, who shall we exclude from worship for our own personal convenience? Now deciding what we would do for our worship based on convenience will bring a disastrous result. And we want to see here if we get into it. Because this is exactly what happened to Israel at this time. We see them further down in chapter 12, verses 31 and 33. 1 Kings chapter 12. Verses 31 and 33. And he made a house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained the feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto cows that have, he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. <clears throat> Verse 33 said, And he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel, the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered unto the altar and burnt incense. We're going to see here adultery. Adultery. Jeroboam began, becomes embalmed to make even more changes. He's emboldened to just step out and say, hey, I'm the one in charge here. I'm going to make these changes. Which is recorded, we just read the verses 31 and 33. Jeroboam made temples on the high places. He made people priests who were not even Levites. He made feast on the days when God did not appoint for feast to be made to him. Verse 33 summarizes that up pretty well. He went to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day and the 8th month and the month that he had devised of his own heart. Not from the guidance of God, but his own heart. Jeroboam devised it. All of these things from his own heart. He made up the things that were good that were going to be worshipped. In fact, the text wants this to be un underscored to us, but our English translators obscured this a little. The Hebrew root word, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but Asah, A-S-A-H, or Asah, is repeated seven times in these three verses. The word has a range of meanings. I think Brother Mark gave me a, a strong commentary book and uh, in my vines. I appreciate it. And they, they end up black bagging there if everybody needs to use them. But uh, it has a range of meanings that we see as we read through this. But one of the meanings in this word is made. Now listen if we say the Jeroboam did as he looked at verses 33 and 33. So Jeroboam also made temples on high places, made priests from among the people who were not Levi. He made a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month. He did this in Bethel, sacrificing the calf he had made. He placed in Bethel the priest of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel. And the month he devised from his own heart. He made a feast of the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. This point is that Jeroboam ignored what God had said to do and made his own worship and he had devised from his own heart. 
Worship is not all. Worship is also not defined by what we can innovate or devise from our own hearts. We have to go by God's word. God does not want us making our own worship. His word is our blueprints for his worship. God wants us to follow his worship. Now the time we got left, I want to say now the reason I went through this study is how we can use it in our lives today. What lessons can we learn from it? How we can apply it to our lives. Jeroboam's failure began because he was afraid and unwilling to trust in the Lord. We drift when we do not put our trust in the Lord to bless us. Now unfortunately, the decision that Jeroboam made forever shaped and impacted the future generations. Worship was never righteous and holy in Israel again. What Jeroboam did forever defiled him. It's so easy to make worship all about ourselves. When we get up and, and preach and all, we can say, you know, I don't have to really worry about God's word just as long as I use them. Throw out a bunch of verses. Maybe if I throw them out fast and loud, people will think I know all about the Bible and they won't write them down and check them. I encourage you, if I give you a verse, or if anybody gives you a verse or something about, write it down and check them. If you find out it's not right, bring it to our attention because I'm not going to do it intentionally. But they can always make it all about yourself when we're singing. Someone can sing out super loud, whether they sing or not, just so you know you can hear them above everybody else, making it about their selves. It's so easy to make worship about ourselves. We can never forget why we are here and what our purpose is. Our goal is not to check off a box of God showing Him that we were here for two hours or we were here for one hour. We must remember that our worship is not merely for ourselves but the praise of God, the encouraging of each other, and the critical means of reaching the world. We should never ask the question when it comes to worship, can we do it? The question should be, should we do that? There was a lot of things that Jeroboam could do, but he should not have done any of it. Our worship of the Lord must never pass through the filter of comfort and convenience. Worship is not about getting it over with or making it easier for ourselves. Back when I first started preaching out, and uh, we were moving out and the building was, the building we were in was actually put up for sale. We decided, well, some of us decided, no, we were going to stay in that building. But there, there wasn't no electricity. We still had our meetings in there for five or six Sundays without electricity because that was where we always uh, worshiped God. And it was the only Church of Christ in the area that we had to worship God. We didn't say, well, it's going to be hot in there and it's going to be dark. We can't, can't really see our, sound, our words and our songbooks and all that. We went there and done the best that we could because we had our trust that God would take care of us. And, of course, he did. Worship is not about getting it over with or making it easier for ourselves. Worship is to be our heart's desire. If we do not desire to worship God now, why do we think we would desire to do it in heaven when all heaven is? For what we read in the scriptures is the worship of the Lord. 
Worship is about what God wants. Worship is about serving each other, encouraging each other as much as we can. Worship is about proclaiming the gospel to the lost world around us. The point of this lesson is not that we must <coughs> excuse me. The point of this lesson is not that we must always do things the way that we always done them. Rather, the point is that convenience cannot be the basis of our worship, nor the basis of any changes we make. If it is, then we are not worshiping God. Worship, worshiping our personal God of comfort and convenience what we would be doing. We have to worship God, and I'm thankful we do it here, the way that God's Word tells us. And that brings us to another and we get ready to sing our song invitation, if we've stepped outside of God's word, we can't get forgiveness of it, repentance of it, the way that we want to do it. Just forget about it. Oh, well, I've done this over with and let it go. We have to go by God's word. We have to take it to God. Ask for forgiveness. So if you stepped out of the way, you need prayers and encouragements of the congregation, we ask you to come forward at this time we stand to sing our song of invitation. <laughs>